Well, good morning, all. I think I turned this thing on. Did I? You guys hearing me? Okay. What a privilege it is to be here with you all. And as Bill says, I am uh, I'm pastor, uh, pastor of care and counseling at the Mount. And uh, probably about 90% of what I do is actually one-on-one counseling with either individuals or couples, things along those lines. Uh, I have been in ministry full-time for over 23 years. It's actually a second career of mine. Uh, I was a uh, sales and marketing guy hey, uh, for a number of years. And, uh, but in 1995, I came to faith. And uh, it was a number of events that happened in my life. And uh, it was a, uh, a dear friend of mine that walked me through the, the plan of salvation introduced me to Jesus, and I will tell you, in 1995, the idea that in 2023 that I would be a pastor is it was unfathomable at the time. About 10 years ago, I was at a, uh, I'm a huge Washington, what name are we on now, Commanders fan, yeah. About 10 years ago, I was at a Sunday night game, and I ran into about 10 or 12 of my fraternity brothers from a lifetime ago, and they're like, John, where have you been? You know, we thought you died or something. I said, no, I'm doing great. You know, what are you doing? Where do you live? And I said, well, I live in Stafford, and and, uh, and I'm a pastor, and they're like, no way, and I'm like, yes way, and they're like, we're coming to your church, and I'm like, no, you're not, yeah, <laughs> so uh, I, I have a colored past, but I tell you what, Jesus has washed it, and uh, he has made me new, and it is something that he does for all of us, he does for all of us, and I've told Bill this before, that uh you know, for the last 23 years, I know uh, since I went into ministry that God has put me in the right bus. And it's been within about the last seven years uh, as, as our care and counseling pastor that he's put me on the right seat, on the right bus. And I'm so grateful for him. What a privilege it is, again, to be here with you. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter so if you have your Bibles, if you would open up to that, I want to, I'm going to start this off and I'm going to ask you a question on the screen here. There's going to be a picture of a lady. Now, some of you may know who this is. All right. There's a chance you could win a new car. If you know this person, there's a chance, a very small chance, but there's a chance. Okay. Does anybody know who that lady is? Okay. I will tell you that that lady was my mom's, like, hero, all right? That is Emily Post. Does that ring any bells with anybody? Okay, all right. Now, I got to be honest with you. Emily Post was the guru, for those of you that don't know her, Emily Post was the guru of etiquette. In fact, in the early 1900s, she wrote the blue book of etiquette. And I will tell you that, as I said, this is probably my mom's, hero and actually I believe my mom wanted to be Emily Post and as a little kid etiquette and appearance was driven home in our home for my sixth birthday I remember this I got a young man's guide to etiquette 
I'm six years old, okay? I'm looking for G.I. Joe with a new Kung Fu grip. I know, I'm just showing my age here. Phil, do you know G.I. Joe? It's not a cartoon. It was actually an action figure. Okay, all right, yeah, all right. And, but instead, I get this book of a young man's guide to etiquette. Now, I will tell you, there's some things that I learned in that that were really important, okay? And there are times when I have been in situations where I'm like, thank you, Mom, for teaching me that, okay? One of those is at a formal dinner setting. Have any of you ever sat at a table like this before? Okay. Now, I will be honest with you. If there's more than one plastic fork at my dining, it, 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 my, it, where I'm sitting to eat, I'm a little concerned. There are, there's a fish fork in there. There's a meat fork. And I always assumed that a fork was a meat fork. I didn't realize it had to be a special fork. But all of this. But my mom taught us this. And I will tell you, it didn't matter what dinner plans were, we ate at home every night at 6 o'clock. And at 5.40, my job, since I was about 6 years old, was to set the dinner table. All right? And it had to be done appropriately. There was always a salad fork. There was always the dinner fork. There was the butter knife. There was the steak knife. Then there was your soup spoon, your spoons, et cetera, et cetera. The water glass always goes on your right. The bread plate goes on your left. If you're sitting at a bill, if you're at a formal dinner and you take the bread off the right plate, you just stole from the guy to the right of you, okay? I'm here to help, okay? I'm here to help, all right? But I'll tell you what, this etiquette, there are certain rules within these dinner settings that you do, that you adhere to. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because in our account here in Luke chapter 7, we are going to go and we are going to sit at a formal dinner with a Pharisee and Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and look at this. And remember that appearance is everything. Appearance is everything. I'm in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, let me give you just a, a, a little setting here, okay? It's not a formal setting like what we are used to here, a black tie or even a, you know, a white jacket dinner, all right? But there is, there is etiquette that happens here. In Jesus' time, if he was invited to a Pharisee's home, this would have been the higher upper class people of the area of Jesus' time. The table would have been set, but it is not a table as we understand this. Most of you are familiar with this. The table sits about 16 inches off the ground. People would actually recline on the floor next to the table. They would sit on, they would rest on their right, or excuse me, their left arm, and they would eat with their right hand. Now, for somebody who's a southpaw like me, that would have been terrible because I would have gone hungry because I can't quite get my right hand to work to my mouth. But that's how it was. Now, within this setting, the host normally sat at the head of the table. And the guest, the primary guest, the guest of honor would seat, would, would recline to the right of the host. Now, 
there would be a number of people around the table, but this is also one of the things any one of us could have been at that meal. We didn't necessarily need an invite. We could have come and gone to that meal, but our responsibility was if we did that, we were to stand up against the back of the wall and simply observe. Because though the meal was somewhat important, what really happened at these formal meals was the discussion and the debate that would go on. And so now we have this formal setting. There are people around that are watching, that are listening, but cannot participate in this. We're going to go on in this account. Verse 37. All right. I want you to see the setting. Jesus is there. He's reclining. He's probably nibbled on some bread and dipped it into some, something. There may be some lamb on the table. There may be some dates or something like that. And they're having conversation. Well, in verse 37, a woman in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, right off the bat, this is a breach of etiquette. See, only men were allowed to be in the house. Regardless if you were a guest around the table, if you just wanted to be a casual observer, you had to be a man. So the first breach of etiquette here is that she was a she. That she came and she sat there. Now, it's going to go on here, and what we're going to see, there is breach of etiquette one right after another that keeps happening here. Now, what's beautiful in this is that we know, but we don't know exactly what it was about her, but she was a sinful woman. Now, Scripture is not clear about that. But whatever it was, it was widely known that she was a sinful woman, that she lived a wild life, whatever that may be. I'll allow you all to go ahead and, and connect those dots or think what you want to think here. But what a breach of etiquette. And if I am the host of this dinner and this woman comes in, I'm already starting to fear because appearance means everything. It means everything. It goes on. Our account continues on here. In verse 38, when the, uh, when the Pharisees, excuse me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip here a little bit. Verse 38, as she stood behind him, Jesus at his feet, she began to weep. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and she poured this perfume on them. Immediately, the story begins to tell us that what the heck is going on here. And again, if I'm the Pharisee and this woman has come in and she is absolutely making a spectacle of herself. And I love what Jesus does in this moment. Jesus, like only he can, is about to turn this dinner into an absolute 
learning, a lesson. Jesus is so good at this. At taking these moments, these, these brief moments, snippets, as life comes at him, as life comes at us, he is willing to take these things and turn them around and say, listen, there's a lesson that needs to be lived here. Now, this woman has, has come in. She is ruining everything for the Pharisees. She has opened up this alabaster jar, this jar of perfume. How many of y'all have potpourri in the house? Anybody have? Okay, if one person has potpourri, two people have potpourri, God bless you all. Remind me not to come to your place because my allergies will go firing off. All right? But when you do the potpourri, it fills the whole house, doesn't it? So you have this alabaster jar, and as, as Bill and I were reading here, this ointment of perfume, it is very condensed, it is very strong, and she's taking the lid off of it. And so everyone is not only seeing her, but now they're beginning to smell everything. All right? Are you here with me? Not only that, now she is starting to weep. Now she started probably standing next to Jesus. But by now, her tears are beginning to drop on his feet. And so I believe that what's happening, understand that Jesus is reclined at this table. Everyone is reclined at this table. And so she's gone from standing and weeping to more than likely kneeling next to him. And the tears are falling onto his feet. To the point where she has now taken her hair down and she is beginning to wipe his feet with her hair. What a preach of etiquette. This woman in today's vernacular, what we would say, she, this, man, this woman's a hot mess. This woman is a hot mess. And Jesus is just sitting there and he's taking it all in. But so is everyone else in the room. Everyone else in the, in the room is. Now, I want you to put, your play, put yourself in the place of the Pharisee. You are the host of this dinner. What is going through your mind? What's going through your mind? I will tell you what's going through my mind is, what the heck is going on here? Somebody needs to get this woman out of here. Does she not realize how foolish she is looking? Does she not realize that there is etiquette here. Does she not realize that what she's doing is completely and utterly unacceptable? So the Pharisee begins to think, and I love this, is the Pharisee thought to himself, he did not verbalize any of this. And he says this, when they Pharisee who invited him saw this. He said to himself, if this man speaking with Jesus were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Can you hear the condemnation in his voice? Can you hear the uppityness in him? Can you hear the virtual contempt for this lady? That's what's happening here. You are ruining everything. You shouldn't even be here. How dare you come into my home? How dare you do this to my guests? You are embarrassing me, let alone you are embarrassing yourself. And this is where Jesus shines. This 
is where Jesus shined. Verse 40. Jesus answered Simon the Pharisee. Now again, understand, he has not said anything verbally. I guarantee you his facial expression showed it. And I guarantee you that somebody in the room probably heard his eyes roll. But he never said anything. But Jesus answered Simon, verse 40. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back. So the money lender forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Now, I will tell you, as you read through Scripture, Jesus and the Pharisee always had these loaded questions. I love it. I love it. The question uh, the Pharisee asked about Jesus, you know, is John's baptism, is it from heaven or is it from man? And he goes, well, you answer it. You answer it. Figure it out. It's a loaded question because if they answer either way, then they have to either acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is or that Jesus is a fool. And if they do that in public and the people are accepting Jesus and realizing who he is, then the people will turn on the Pharisee. If they accept Jesus' baptism is actually from heaven, then he is who he is, and so the Pharisees are wrong. And so a lot of times they keep silent here. But I love what the, the, the Pharisee does here. Simon replied, I suppose. In other words, not 100% sure where you're going with this, but all right, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt that was forgiven. And Jesus says, you have judged correctly. Now listen, this is the heart of this account. This is all about grace and it's all about forgiveness. And remember, this woman is, is pouring herself out on Jesus. And in just a moment, Jesus is going to publicly declare that her sins are forgiven because of her faith. See, for those of us who have been delivered from much, there is great love. There is great love. And that is the account that is happening here. This woman who has lived a horrible life. And we don't know the backstory. We don't know what happened in her upbringing. We don't know what happened a as a young adult. We don't know anything about this woman other than she was a hot mess. And God, in the form of Jesus Christ, is giving her life back. And she is accepting it. And there's this out pouring of love have you ever done something so egregious to someone that you love have you ever made that mistake where you're asking for forgiveness there is true genuine repentance in your heart and they give it to you does it not change who we are and how we look at things? This is what's happening with this meal. This is what's happening with this woman. And all of this is transpiring in a matter of moments. And it gets better. 
it gets so much better. Yes, the heart of this passage is all about forgiveness and accepting grace and showing love. But as they say, there is more to the story. And that's the part that I really want us to focus in on. You all have been a church for 171 years. Wow. The lampstand of God stands in the middle of this church. The mount has been around for about 115, 116 years. That's mind-boggling to me that we have churches that have been in this area and God still allows his lampstand to be there. But we always have to be mindful of what the mission has always been from the very get-go, from the book of Acts until today, the mission of the church. And I'm asking, are we on mission? Do we remain on mission? Are we willing to stay on mission? Because it's not all about us. And this is the most beautiful part of it. Jesus turned towards the woman. I'm in verse 44. Then Jesus turned towards the woman. Now be with me, okay? Excuse me. I want you to see this. We're reclined at the table. The woman is by Jesus' feet. She is weeping. She's let her hair down. She's probably uncovered her hair. There's tears. She is rubbing this expensive ointment on Jesus' feet. The aroma is filling the room. Everybody in the room sees what's happening here. And Jesus, looking at the woman, was Simon over here. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? Simon's very first response, I guarantee you, to himself was, see her, it's the only thing I've been looking at since she walked in here. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is asking Simon, do you see her? Really, really see her. I will tell you, it is easy for me to lose focus on people. It's easy to get caught up in all the things that we have to do. It's easy to get caught up in what I like and what I want and how I want things. And in doing so, am I missing the people that are around me? Am I missing, am I ignoring the hot messes? Am I rolling my eyes at them? Or am I willing to really take a look at them? And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Simon, John, do you see him? Do you see her in their hot mess? in whatever circumstance, and they probably put themselves there with the decisions that they made. But do we see them? I have to understand this, and I cannot forget this about myself. Because in many ways, I came to the dinner table 
broken, poor in spirit. I think you're doing a, a series right now, the Sermon on the Mount. Have you addressed the Beatitudes yet? Oh, my land. There is zero coincidence that the very first recorded words of Jesus that we have, and the very first teaching that we have recorded of Jesus, the words that come out of his mouth are, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That poverty in spirit, yes, there's an aspect of finances with that, but most importantly, that is about coming to the very end of ourselves and realizing I am nothing. There's nothing I have. There's nothing I can bring. There's nothing that will allow me to enter into the kingdom of God apart from a relationship with God. And when we come to the end of ourselves and we are broken and maybe, maybe we're on our knees and we're weeping. I will tell you in 1995 when I came to Jesus Christ, I physically craved the presence of Jesus. I was so broken. I was so torn up. My wife and I had separated. Everything was going south. I physically craved Jesus and I was weeping. And I honestly believe this. When we come to the end of ourselves, that's where Jesus steps in and goes, I can work with that. And that's what's transpiring at this meal. And that's what's transpiring in us if we're willing to see it. I'm going to land this plane real quick. There's three points I want to share with you all. First, do we see others? I think this is the most important thing. Do we still have eyes to see? Are we still willing to see others? Or will we continue to walk around with blinders? Again, I am not casting stones. I live in a glass house too. I know that I can look past people. But I will tell you this. Those moments when I realize from what I have been delivered. Those moments where I get a glimpse of my sin. And realize the forgiveness that has been extended to me. How can I not see others and be willing to see past their hot mess and ask the question, God, what is my role here? Do I need to come and walk alongside this person? Is there some experience that you have given me in my life that allows me to walk with this person and give this person your hope? Not my hope, your hope. Second thing, do we hear people anymore see Jesus heard her from way before she ever walked into the room more than likely there were whimperings coming out of this woman if she is crying so hard the tears are washing Jesus' feet I cannot imagine it was a silent cry there were whimpers but more importantly Somewhere along the line, at the very core of who she was, there was probably the greatest prayer that we can offer that was offered up. 
Oh, God, help. I tell you that, that prayer, when it comes from the heart, I think it's the greatest prayer that we can, we can ever offer. It's a two-second prayer. It's not even that. It's a one-second prayer, but if it comes from the core of who we are, Jesus not only shows up, but he begins to show off. I know because it happened in my life. Jesus heard her. And Jesus hears us. And Jesus hears the cries of everyone. Will we have ears to hear those within our own congregation, within our own home, within our own community, within our own country, within our own world? Will we have ears to hear? Last of all, and this is spectacular, will we honor them? Will we honor the hot messes that enter our lives? See, Jesus did. She breaks open this alabaster jar. She opens it up. And if you go into Matthew's account of this, Judas begins to start chirping about that. What a waste. We could have sold this for a year's wage. But I love what Jesus said. Jesus says these things about her. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached. Now, this was 2,000 years ago. The hot mess is at his feet. Wherever this good news is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, if I'm broken, if I'm broken and Jesus has forgiven me and he honors me, when I don't even deserve it. I would tell you one of the very first experiences in ministry I ever had was to take a bunch of kids to Richmond. Now, I lived in Virginia Beach. I'd been in the church for, I don't know, maybe three months. All right? And it's funny, the only people I felt like I really belonged with were the teenagers because I'd sit in there, I'd go outside after services and throw the football with them or shoot basketball with them. But I was intimidated by all the adults. Because as a three-month-old Christian, I was a hot mess still. It wasn't until my second Easter as a Christian that I actually realized the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. And then one day, I was asked to drive some teenagers to a day youth trip up in Richmond. And I remember my first response, at least internally, was, do you not know who I am? Do you not know what I am capable of doing? Why would you entrust your children with me? They honored me. congregation honored me. Grace abounds when we're honored. Will we honor those
that walks through our doors? Will we honor our next door neighbors? Will we honor our family members? Will we honor our spouses? See, there's so much more to this story. Yes, we see a sinful woman who has come and accepted grace. And grace, she becomes a steward of the grace that was bestowed upon her. Are we stewards of the grace that has been bestowed upon us? Now listen, I don't know where you are today. We are going to land this plane. I don't know where you are today on your faith walk. And some of you are sitting here and you're like, I am a hot mess, but I ain't going to show anybody. And I'm certainly not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to sit here and be my own hot mess. And maybe some of you are thinking, I shouldn't be here. And grace, grace is great for everyone else. But don't you understand? It's okay. You to go to the feet of Jesus and weep. And I guarantee you this He's going to show mercy. He sees you, He hears you, and most of all, He's going to honor you. And it's not because of anything you've done. But it's because of who you are. And this is the kicker. You are an image bearer of a holy God. You are a child of a holy God. You possess the attributes of a holy God. And see, Jesus sees people as who they are, children of God. What would happen if we began to see people the way that Jesus does? It'll change what we see, what we hear, and how we act and react to others. And in doing so, Not only does the lampstand stay here for another 170 years, but it burns bright. And this little, wonderful, wonderful church becomes a beacon in this section. And you will have a sphere of influence beyond what you can even imagine. Will the lampstand burn bright in you? And you will become a beacon wherever you work or go to school or whatever baseball team you're on or whatever football team you coach. But it starts with seeing them. Actually, it starts back farther than that. God, you accepted me when I was a hot mess. Thank you, God. I 
I may not have an alabaster jar of perfume to put on your feet, but I will be a steward of the grace that you have bestowed upon me. Father God, we come to you this morning, and I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for the pastors you have placed here. But most of all, I thank you for all of us that are here who have tasted the goodness of you, who have experienced grace. God, may we remember what it is to be poor in spirit. Not that we live there, but that we recognize that it is you who has taken us up out of our own pits and you have placed us on solid ground. And because of that, we have an obligation, dare I say, there should be a burning desire within us to share you with all that we come in contact with. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to give honor to all that come our way. Father, thank you for what you do. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Hey, listen. I'm going to turn this over to Pastor in just a minute. We're going to ask the worship team to come up here also. I want to challenge any of you. If your eyes have been shut and your ears have been closed, is it time we just sang about how long has it been since you've been on your knees? How long has it been since you've cried out to God? How long has it been since you spent time in prayer? How long has it been since you have truly engaged with Jesus? If it's been a while, if it's been a this invitation is for you. I'm going to suggest that this become an altar. And if you need prayer, pastor will be up here. I'll be up here. May we pray for you. We don't want to embarrass you. Good night. No, we want to embrace you because we know what it's like. And if there's anybody has never accepted Jesus because you thought you had to get everything all together. Can I tell you that that's a lie? See, we come to Jesus broken and He heals us and makes us whole from the inside caveat to this story. I told you when I came to Jesus, I was my own hot mess. My wife and I had separated. We had divorce papers signed yesterday. My wife and I celebrated 34 years married because Jesus saw
can do 